0: The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I, I don't really know what to say, so there you go. But. Uh... Uh, hey, we are jumping into a brand new series today called Legacy, and if you're looking for a spot in the Bible, we're gonna be Luke chapter 12, the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. If you got a smartphone, that works. If you got the pages of a Bible, that's great. Um, and uh, we'll get there here momentarily. I always think it's intriguing when you consider people's famous last words, and of course you can Google that and find what certain people that, that you might've heard of have said you know, as they were you know, passing away, moving into uh, eternity. But I also think it's, it's amazing to think of what people put on their tombstone, that epitaph, you know, the things that, that people have etched you know, on those. And, and I was thinking of you know, Martin Luther King, on his it says, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last." And again, I think it's thought provoking to consider that. On the other end of the spectrum is, for instance, a guy named Mel Blanc, which most of you probably don't know, some of you might be aware of, but he was known as the man of a thousand voices for Warner Brothers, and he's the one who, if you've watched Warner Brothers cartoons back in the day, on his tombstone, it literally says, that's all, folks. So, um, (laughs) you know, there's that. Comedian Rodney Dangerfield on his, it literally says, there goes the neighborhood. Um, Joe DiMaggio, a famous baseball player, uh, Joe DiMaggio, his says, grace, dignity, and elegance personified. And then I, uh, I saw that Johnny Cash on his tombstone, his epitaph is literally Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now, if you've ever heard of a guy named Stephen Covey, he wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's kind of in a a timeless read, just just certain principles, habits that you and I should consider when we think about our lives. And habit number one is be proactive. He talks about being able to change what you can and work on those things, but also being aware that certain things may not change, don't make it a priority for those things because it is what it is. But then habit number two, two is this, begin with the end in mind. And I want you to think about that for a second because when it comes to the lives that you and I live and the years that you and I have, he says, begin with the end in mind. And then as you continue through that portion of the book, what he actually says is, I wanna challenge every reader to stop right now what you're reading and step back for a second and get out a piece of paper and I want you to write your epitaph. I want you to stop and think about what would you want etched on your tombstone someday once you're gone. And over and over, there have been stories for for a couple of decades now of people that have stopped to do this and really figured out, wow, it really helps prioritize those things that ought to matter. It really helps put on the back burner those things that don't matter. Here's what I know. The world that you and I live in is not great at helping us stop to consider what are we doing? It's not great at, at you know what really matters and prioritizing things accordingly. We sort of live out our days and we're too busy or in some context, the world that we live in, um, we, we kind of keep pain at bay. We keep things that hurt at bay. And so we get busy doing fun things. We entertain ourselves or numb ourselves or we pick up habits we shouldn't have because we don't wanna feel what we really, in some ways, are meant to feel, the depth of grief, the depth of loss, the depth of pain Not that we indulge it overly so, but the fact is for you and I to stop and feel what we feel can really bring us to a place of considering, okay, what really matters? And you've probably been a part of of funeral and memorial services where that question is asked, where you're faced with a reality of, it was the end of somebody's life that I knew, but it really makes me think of what kind of life am I living? And I say that because I think we need to be challenged to take it deeper. I think we need to be challenged to stop and really think about what kind of legacy am I leaving? What is? What would I want on my epitaph? And so it's something to consider. If you walk over, you know, through the Marysville Cemetery, which for years I remember riding my bike through and stopping and reading certain tombstones and stuff like that, but you see you know, beloved husband, father, you know, friend, whatever, you see all kinds of things written, and I think it could be, and maybe Maybe it's a little bit of homework for you today to consider when you go home for lunch, when you go home and do whatever you do, what if you step back from all of the busyness, the scrolling, the next show, the, you know, sports game or you know, Seahawks game, anyway. Um, but, but what if you step back for a moment and, and quieted yourself from all of the stuff and got out a piece of paper and really considered what would I want to be written about me? It's something worth considering. The word legacy, as we jump into this series, Merriam-Webster defines it this way. Legacy is something transmitted or received um, from an ancestor or predecessor from the past. At the end of the day, legacy is really reputation. Legacy is really what people will say about you, think about you, and even feel about you once you're gone. It's the essence of what you leave behind. And if you've ever read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in scripture, over and over, Jesus, yes, he's performing miracles. Yes, he's traveling to certain villages. Yes, he, he, he's all about, you know, that he's come to this earth to pay the price for sin. And that's huge. And that's the, the, the biggest deal. But the other thing he does as he's teaching in crowds is he's oftentimes trying to get them to understand truth, trying to get them to think of their lives in light of eternity, trying to help them prioritize those things that really matter and Luke 12, starting at verse 16, is no exception. It starts with this. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and then I will store my surplus grain there. And I will say to myself, verse 19, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Father, as we stop and pray today, um, we invite you to help us understand this, to help us really consider as we think about legacy, as we filter through you know this topic, our lives, the years that we've already lived, but also the years we have left, whether many or, or maybe few, that God, we would understand that this conversation is a big one. And the truth is, as Jesus is teaching this, God, it, 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 we look at the crowd and it varies in age and and, and uh, similar kind of in culture, but it varies so much, but it was really something that every person probably probably walked away considering what does it mean to live out my days being rich towards God. Help us understand it and walk out that conviction in Jesus' name, amen. So so here, here we go, and, and the truth is, this parable comes out of a conversation with Jesus and a crowd, and somebody in the crowd steps up and says, Lord, tell my brother to divide our inheritance. We don't know the context. We don't know, was the brother trying to take it all? Was he the firstborn, and so he was supposed to get his you know, larger portion, when the second doesn't, and he's jealous. What is going on here? And Jesus' response is this. What he sees, just briefly, in this little flash of conversation, is an issue in the heart of this person that he sees a moment to teach the crowd about. And what he says is, hey, greed is a problem. Is basically the essence of what happens right before this. Greed is a problem. And then he goes into the parable and he, and he, and he starts in with this. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest, in, in, in your day, in my day, most of us in here don't own 50, 100, 50, you know, 1,000, whatever acres. You and I look in the context of the jobs that we have. This would be, you know, you got a big raise, you got a big bonus, life's going well, you, you, you got extra cash coming from somewhere. It's been a banner year. And this is the context of this gentleman. He's going, man, I've had an incredible year. This is so awesome. And, and I love how he stops in verse 17 and he says, what shall I do? And that's where I want to challenge any one of us in this room. For you and I, what would it be like for you and I to step back again? Banner year financially, or you got more margin in your life for relationship, or 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 you know uh, to serve and love others, to you know build bridges with your neighbors, or whatever. You step back and go, wow, I've got this extra, whatever it is, fill in the blank: relational capital, financial capital, emotional capital. I could help insert. I could do something more th- th- than just do something about myself. He goes, what shall I? do. What would it look like in those moments in your life to step back? We're not good at it. I already said that. We're not great at stopping and going, what really ought to matter here with the things that I'm a steward of? And so this gentleman steps back and goes, what shall I do? Unfortunately, the very next sentence is this, I have no place to store my crops. And then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I can store my surplus grain. Basically, go big or go home. Basically, it's all about what I can do to serve myself and make my life better. And it's all the me, myself, and I conversation that it's easy for you and I to get pulled into the trappings of. Again, in the world that we live in, it tends to be this idea of, I'm about making myself happy. I'm about making myself comfortable. I'm about that however I'm blessed, I can make it about me. Let me be careful here. That's not to say that that in the world that we live in and that we have surplus that we can't enjoy it. I wanna be be clear about that that even Paul says to Timothy as he's trying to train up the next generation of leader in the church, Paul says, tell those that have extra to, to enjoy what they have, but also to be rich and generous toward others. And so it's not an either or conversation. This isn't about you going, hey, I have extra. I'm just gonna serve others and make it all about them. That's part of the conversation though. And how often in the lives that we live do we not really consider as a steward of what we've been given what it, looks like, what it looks like to think about others in light of how we are blessed. And that's the tension that you and I really live with all the time. I think it's a big deal that we're stewards and we ought to step back and consider what does it mean? The conclusion that this gentleman in the parable comes to is, wow, I'm just gonna build bigger barns and I'm gonna store up so much so that what I get to do is step back and relax and eat and drink and be merry. That's his solution. And it's not the best solution. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, what you read is is a letter from Solomon who was back in the day, the richest person who ever existed. And Solomon had written this this book that basically chapter by chapter or section by section goes into. He says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. But then because he had enjoyed everything he'd enjoyed, he takes certain facets of the conversation as you continue through this book. And he says, I tried this and that doesn't really work. I tried this and that doesn't really fulfill. And I tried this and he goes into even talking about at one point, and this is Solomon, I had everything I wanted. And if you go back and study the life of Solomon, what you'll see is that he built not only an elaborate palace for himself, but we're talking like amazing gardens and amazing vineyards. And he brought in animals from all over the place and basically had his own little zoo. And people would come and visit from all over the place and go, wow, look at all you have. This is incredible. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes said, I tried that I have everything and I can do whatever I want with my stuff. And he goes, even that is meaningless. And he talks about the overworking and toil and labor. And, and, and I tried that. And He talks about all these different facets. He just says, it doesn't mean anything. This parallels what Jesus is saying here. This guy thought, I'm gonna be like Solomon. I'm gonna sit back and I'm just gonna enjoy life and people can marvel at how great I have it. And then the next verse, he says, uh, "He said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. This, uh, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then verse 20, but God. I, I could stop there. And-, and my hope would be that you and I feel the tension of, But God, in the filter of your life and your legacy, in the filter of my life and my legacy, but God. And even those two words alone ought to change the equation for you and I and what we should be considering when it comes to what really matters. Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool. Think about that is it was a warning to the crowd. If you have an issue of making it all about you, if climbing the ladder in your life has become such a priority, and yet it's easy for us to go, yeah, but I have the right motive, I'm trying to set my family up. But there's a problem. And the problem is, it's you and I spending an inordinate amount of time focusing on things that at the end of the day will come to nothing. I was talking with somebody earlier about the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. And one of the, the, the things we ended up talking about was Russ and Colorado and that whole thing. And, and I had read an article that he just purchased a couple of you know, months ago, the, the most expensive property in the entire Denver area in the history. It was like 25 million. And then it went into what he owns and all the stuff and the tennis court, the basketball and all the stuff. And, and again, great man, the, the guy's got more money than most of us could ever even imagine, fine. But at the same time, at the end of the day, here's what Jesus would remind us of if that's our only focus. And I'm not saying that's Russ's or anything. I'm just saying if that's our only focus. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you prepared for yourself? It's meant to be a warning, but but he uses that word fool to make a point. It's supposed to sting the crowd. It's supposed to sting the audience listening to him say it. Wow, that'd be great. I would love to sit back and eat your, I don't wanna be a fool. In the parable, but God said to him, you fool. He didn't know that very night his life would be demanded from him. And again, it goes right along the same tracks as Ecclesiastes. It's meaningless. It's not all that you think that it is. It wasn't all about you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The tension we should feel. I I wanna read a a segment of a book. Um, If you're ever looking for things, obviously I say we read scripture and be be a daily reader instead of scripture. There's books I read, and and John Ortberg is one of those authors I've always enjoyed. He's written a bunch of different books. He's a pastor. Um, But he wrote this book a little while ago called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box, and I was actually studying my notes and going over my stuff, and, and in my office I looked over and I happened to see this title. And I'm like, wait a minute, I remember reading that a while ago. And I picked it up and I'm like, that's that's the conversation. Um, and so I want to read a little bit of this because he gets into this text. And so I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Let, let me read a bit here. God said, "You fool! This very night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have stored up, whose will they be?" He doesn't say the man was evil or wicked. He just calls him a fool. Why does Jesus use this harsh word? The man didn't, listen to this, the man didn't deliberately set out to neglect his wife or ignore his kids. He didn't establish the goal of becoming greedy and self-preoccupied as possible. He didn't purpose in his heart to defy God or close off all compassion for the poor. He just had other things to do. He was too busy. He just devoted his life to the wrong things. If you were to make a list of his priorities, it would look something like this. Harvest a large crop, build bigger barns, achieve financial security, eat, drink, be merry, remember not to die. And of course, this last one is a really hard one. Sooner or later, our souls will return to their maker and the things you have stored up, whose will they be? That was the realization that Solomon said, I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. The executive who works from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day will be both very successful and fondly remembered by his wife's next husband. Author John Kaposi writes. <laughs> Lisa Rotgrack is the author of a book called Death Warmed Over, a combination of cookbook and sociological study of funeral meals and rituals. She starts with the story of a man dying at home in bed. He could smell the aroma of chocolate chip cookies, his favorite, baking downstairs. He wanted one more cookie before he died. He dragged his body out of bed, rolled down the stairs, crawled into the kitchen, reached out a trembling arm to grasp one final cookie when he felt the sting of a spatula smack his hand. Put that back, his wife said. They're for the funeral. (laughs) The rich fool had many cookies and he thought they were all for him. This is what I'll do, says the rich fool. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I'll store all my grain and goods. One more barn, one more crop, one more cookie. That night, out comes the spatula and whack. They don't belong to you, therefore the funeral. When Jesus told his story, he summed up the lesson in a single sentence to make sure no one missed the point. So it is for everyone who accumulates riches for themselves, but they're not rich toward God. The object of life according to Jesus is breathtakingly simple. Be rich toward God. Don't spend your life playing master of the board. It's a sucker's game. You can't beat the house, but you can be rich toward God. Your life with God's help can be a source of pleasure to the God of the universe. You can make God smile. When the game is over, all that will matter will be God's assessment of our lives venture capitalists and hollywood stars school janitors and somalian tribesmen will stand in line before him on level ground being rich toward god means growing a soul that is incredibly healthy or excuse me increasingly healthy and good being rich toward god means enjoying and appreciating the people around you being rich toward god means learning about your gifts and passions and doing good work to help improve the world Being rich toward God means becoming generous with your stuff. Being rich toward God means making that which is temporary become the servant of that which is eternal. Being rich toward God means savoring every roll of the dice and every trip around the board. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Luke continues this uh, in chapter 12, continues this with talking about worry and the things that consume this world. It's something similar to what you might've read in, in Matthew chapter six during the Sermon on the Mount. Same picture here. He says, don't worry about your life and what you'll eat or drink or your body and what you're gonna wear. Don't worry about all these things. That's what the pagans run after. That's what the world is so focused on. Don't be consumed by those things that shouldn't be a priority. And his solution is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will take care of all those things. Do you step back and consider what really matters in your life? See, I stand here today and, and next month, we're gonna celebrate our 90th birthday as a church. And I love that. I think it's amazing to consider the last 90 years from 1932 to today. It was a little bit of the, the funny montage that we kind of put together as an old timey you know, reel. But, but to look at all that's gone on in our church and realize that, that we are blessed by the generosity of those that have gone before us. That we stand on the spiritual shoulders of those that have paved the way to these moments right here. Even the room we sit in today, what was basically taken care of by a couple of generations ago in the mid-60s when this grand opening of this place happened. That for you and I to consider the kind of legacy that they've left that we get to appreciate, but also now, what will we do so that the next generations can be blessed by our contribution, by what we're called to do, and, and, and I, I would caution any of us if, if if all you hear is me saying legacy and money, that's to miss it. Because the idea of being rich toward God—I love how Ortberg puts it—we're talking about considering a life that pleases God, a life that is generous in time with others, a life that serves and lives beyond just ourselves. Our legacy is more than what we want people to consider through our lives. Our legacy is more than what we want people to consider through our lives. Let let me say it this way. The question that we need to answer is this. What does Jesus want people to consider through my life? What does Jesus want people to consider through my life? What does Jesus want people to consider through your life? And here's the thing about legacy. It's not just what you leave behind at the end of it. Your legacy is being built today. Your legacy has been being carved out since you were born. As time, you, you think about how you spend those teen years and some of you in here are teenagers and, and there's individuals in your 20s and you got little kiddos or 30s or 40s and, and 50s and 60s, 70s, even 80s in this room. Your legacy has been being built. It's a really bad way to put that, I guess. But it's true. Don't just think of a legacy as, well, someday all eventually. And that's Jesus' point. It's not meant today for, for it to be a scare tactic when I say it. Well, if you died today, I'm like, oh God. But it's meant to be an inventory, a checklist. It's showing up at the friends or the, the close family members memorial and going, they're gone, and this was their life. Wow, what about the life I'm living? I think of some different individuals within our own church that have passed away, and, and, John, and Janice, John and Janice Islander are two of those. I love them dearly and they both passed away a while back. But when I started in this role back in 2009, uh, John was a mentor of mine. And again, he's a, he's a grandpa and he kind of adopted me a little bit as a, kind of a grandson or a son, but man, just an incredible guy who would help me. And I would meet with him and talk with him about ministry and how to pastor and all this stuff. And, and what I love about John and Janice is she was, she was always the comedian that loved deeply. If you know Janice at all, or you knew that name at all, um, when there were, uh, like, like um, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, br- uh, bridal showers she would be invited to, she would bring a whole string of different types of panties. And you're like, that's a legacy, right? But anyway, she was notorious for it, because she had a great sense of humor. Like, hey, just so you know, someday when your husband sees you like this, you're gonna wanna think about what you're wearing. Anyway, so, but, but the other part of it, like I said, that's funny, and she was hilarious, but the other side of it was she cared deeply. The year that she passed away, she showed up in my driveway with a birthday gift for me. And you know what it was? It was two pairs of black socks (laughs) that I still today, when I open my drawer and see them, because they're still there, I'm like, Janice Islander, you're awesome. You you always loved me so well. Always took care of me and my family, always care about us. And then John. John Islander was like a pillar of a pastor, he was the pastor of pastors. And, and you maybe don't know his legacy at all around here, but he was the guy who, who back in, we're talking like the 1940s and 50s and 60s. He was... Uh, uh, working up Jordan Road and Arlington Heights and he was helping plant little churches and houses and little facilities and things like that. But he loved Jesus and wanted desperately for people all over our county to know Jesus. And this was his legacy. I remember one time I was learning, uh, again, you're, you, you have to, some of this stuff you're learning, uh, it was uh, memorials and funerals and, and graveside services. And one time he reached out to me and said, hey, um, I'm doing a, a graveside. Do you wanna come and, and see how I do this? I said, absolutely. So we went to this graveside uh, service and, He said, I keep it relatively short and I I, I focus people back on Jesus and we read some scripture and I'll usually say a few things pretty simple. He said, but one thing I do, just so you know, is when we pull up, we're gonna park a little ways away. He said, the reason that I like to do that is because what I wanna do is I wanna share with the family comfort and encouragement and then I wanna step back and let them grieve together at the graveside but not even notice that I disappeared. And then so they don't see my car start and see me drive away, he said, I park down the street. And so I've taken that habit every time I've ever done a graveside, that's what I do. that's wisdom but again he cared so much about people and he had such a heart and I think about that legacy it wasn't just something he put together at the end of his life it was something he lived decade after decade after decade legacy what will your legacy be? And I want us to think about this throughout this series. We're gonna have this series all the way into November when I wanna challenge you to mark your calendars for November 6th and November 13th and be here because we're gonna celebrate that 90th birthday. On the 6th, we're gonna talk about the last 90 years and, and some of the key moments that have been amazing for us. But then November 13th, we're gonna talk about the next 10 on the way to 100 and what we believe God is challenging all of us to be a part of on this journey. So I'm excited about that. But in this legacy series, we're gonna take the facets of legacy. And we're gonna talk about what it means as a husband and a father, as a mom and as a wife. We're gonna talk about what it means for you and I as we think about friendships and we think about grace and restoration and and, and forgiveness. We're gonna talk about what it means as a church. Like I said, 6th and 13th, yes, but in this series, we're gonna talk about what it means for us together and bring that challenge. And yeah, we're gonna talk about what it means even with the time and resources that we've been given, what does it look like for you and I to be rich toward God? What does Jesus want people to consider through my life? We ought to be living in light of eternity, not just what we want people to say, in light of eternity. Couple questions I wanna challenge us when it comes to legacy. And this goes back to what Jesus was saying. If it all ended today, what would my legacy be? And am I okay with that? If it all ended today, what would my legacy be, and am I okay with that? Another couple questions. Is my reputation with those who know me best as it should be? Unfortunately, sometimes in our lives, we we, we tend to vent on those we care about the most, but it also means sometimes we mistreat those we're closest to more than others. We could put on a good front for neighbors and people that are at a distance. Is my uh, reputation with those who know me best as it should be? Is there anything I need to reconcile with someone to create a better legacy? Is there anything I need to reconcile with someone to create a better legacy? What are the things in my life currently hurting my legacy? And what are the things in my life that are currently creating the right legacy? Back to Stephen Covey. I said, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is the book, but he says this, if our ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets, us, just gets us to the wrong place faster. And we know that. If our ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. Pastor Francis Chan, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really It goes back to what Paul said to both the church at Colossae in Colossians and Ephesus in Ephesians. Make the most of every opportunity. And the question in this series is part of the title, Legacy, What Will You Leave Behind? God, today, I pray that we would consider, maybe it's in the busyness of our lives, we don't really stop. Maybe it's the feel of, boy, that's a deep thing and I'm gonna feel and I don't really wanna feel because we're just not used to it. Help us to stop and feel. That there are things I believe you wanna heal in us, God, that can help us understand the priorities when it comes to legacy. I pray, God, for every one of us to consider, maybe it's this afternoon, this evening, maybe it's right when we leave here to, to drive over to a park or somewhere with a view or whatever and just to go, man, I just need to pause all of it not scrolling, not the radio, not anything, but God, to think about what is my legacy today and what would you, God, what would you want it to be? Not just what would I want it to be, what would you want it to be? Father, open our hearts to this conversation that we can be the best stewards of what you've entrusted to each of us. And yes, it varies. Yes, it's different. Yes, our contexts don't really compare, but we each are stewards of all of these things which in the end make up a legacy. God, help us steward it correctly through the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.